Welcome to Chapel Chatter, a KCU campus ministry podcast. I am your host, Jacob Shockey, campus minister at Kentucky Christian University in Grayson, Kentucky. It is our hope that you find this podcast encouraging and challenging for your faith, as we will discuss several different elements of the faith in ministry, not only with KCU students, faculty, and staff, but also our guests who speak in our chapel services. Enjoy. Today I'm joined by KCU alumni and student minister at Galpless Christian Church in Galpless, Ohio, and former chapel TA, yeah. Andrew Wolf. Woo. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing really cool. I'm doing, I'm doing good. It's really, really cool to be on this podcast with you. Right. I mean, that was a pretty cool podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm usually the interviewer for my church's podcast, but it's good to be the interviewee where right. I get the questions asked to me, so well, less, put, less pressure that way. Well, I don't know. We're going to put you in the hot seat. Um... So, you know, before we get into anything, you know, I just like to make this caveat for you and for um, anyone that's listening that, um, you know, the reason we do this podcast is to kind of help us get outside of our bubble here at KCU. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, while, yes, there's a lot happening here and the Lord is moving, it is imperative to understand that the Spirit moves beyond our context and Mm -hmm. moves beyond our town, our university, and I think it's always an encouragement, and it helps us to hear fresh perspectives from people that might think differently than we do. Yeah. That, you know, just to, it's a plethora of different things. So um, I appreciate you, one, speaking for chapel today, um, but two, you know, for the ministry you're doing. Um, obviously, it's my former job, so it's, uh, it's a little more close to heart than Thanks for that. <laughs> other, <laughs> other, other, other speakers and things like that. Um, so, you know, I appreciate the work you're doing at Galpolis, and... Um, you know, I'm just excited to talk about a little bit, just a little bit about more about you for people to know more about you. Yeah. Um, to talk a little more about what you talked about in chapel today. So we'll just jump right into it. Um, and typically, if we have an alumni, I like to ask, you know, how, you know, how did you find your way to KCU as a student? Mm-hmm. You know, where are you from? How did that whole process look like? Yeah. And how did you know you wanted to go into ministry? All right. So I actually, um, ironically, I didn't have my mindset on coming to KCU as a student. Uh, originally, it's kind of, like I said, ironically, I was going to go to Johnson. Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. I was going to go to Johnson, and then I kind of uh, weighed out about, about like financial stuff, and I was like, I, yeah, I'm doing yeah. this. I was kind of doing it on my own at the time, but um, my older brother, Matt, actually FaceTimed me, and you know he felt really convicted, and he felt that God was calling him to contact me and be like, hey, I think you need to come to KCU. Um, the reason this conversation was so different because he was I hope he never hears this because he came mad at me but he was weeping and the my family isn't really well I've become more emotional since becoming a father yeah. but we are not really emotional people and so to see that was kind of uh, really impactful and I was like oh wow maybe this is something that God has really convicted him on his heart and his mind to do yeah. and so after that uh, yeah, I actually decided to come to KCU it was like four or five days before the official move-in date. Yeah. So I packed all my bags and shipped out here. I'm originally from Louisville, so it wasn't too bad of a drive. Yeah. But um, yeah, I've I moved here four years ago. Just you know, I guess technically moved away, moved out or something. <laughs> <laughs> moved out uh, in May, going to Galapagos, and it's been great. But um, what what are the rest of the what are the rest of the questions for this? Well, before, before we get that, just a. Uh question i thought of while you're talking about that you know what was that leap of faith like to do that because you know i had a similar story when i went to undergrad um i started off at one school you know had to take time off due to sickness and then right you know like two weeks before the school year is going to start and i was planning on going to university of pittsburgh Mm -hmm. god called me in a different direction and i you know you know Sorry, Casey, but I went to Johnson, like you were talking about, and um, I drove, you know, five and a half hours from home, never even visited the campus, just went off reputation and things like that, and, you know, that was one of the scariest things I've ever done, and, Mm -hmm. like, it sounds weird, but while I was so on fire then, it didn't seem as terrifying, looking back, I'm like, that was a crazy decision I made as a 19-year-old, Yeah. Um, so, you know, what was that leap of faith like, and, you know... What could you take from that now? Just flesh that out. Well, ironically, like still, like the ironies continue to kind of prove themselves. But I never officially visited KCU either. Mm-hmm. The only times I had ever come 
were to visit my brother at, like, it said it was like a football game yeah. or something. That's the only point in time I ever visited KCU. And so when I came here, I had no idea where the dorms were, where I would be living, anything like that. Where yeah. things were, I think I asked someone once where the cafeteria was in the Lesby. <laughs> And they're like, oh, it's right over there, and looking at me kind of stupidly. But, <laughs> but like, I didn't. I just had no frame of reference. And so, honestly, the more I think about it, like that leap of faith becomes that much more, like that much more big for me. Yeah. yeah. And I think in the moment when I was finally like, I'm gonna do this, and it's gonna happen, it was a, a feeling of both fear, okay. anxiousness, but also excitement that okay, yeah. God had led me to this moment. It felt like that. It felt like. I had two rows to go down, mm-hmm. and it was either one where I would either kind of like wander in confusion, like I'll, I'll kind of uh, compare it to like the Israelites when they wander. Yeah. You know, some people just tend to wander in their lives. And so I feel like if I had chosen the other path I was going to go down to, which would have been me taking a semester off and then trying to find, mm-hmm. you know, maybe trying to go to school, I would have wandered for a while, and I would have yeah. tried, probably not have gotten the same opportunities I got here when I took that leap of faith. And we're just like, yeah, I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a feeling of both fear but excitement because I knew that this was, without a shadow of a doubt, something that God was already planning ahead of me to do. Yeah. So. Uh, and I like the whole wilderness, you know, imagery, you know, the way I uh, would often describe what my, you know, my leap of faith was like, um, another Old Testament story is when, you know, it's the time of Joshua, and they're about to cross the Jordan River into Israel to retake the land, yeah. right? And the priests are holding the Ark of the Covenant, and they're mm-hmm. at the Jordan River where it's a flood stage. Yeah. And God's like, hey, go walk into this river yeah. that's just flowing and probably going to kill you. And I remember, it, I mean, it wasn't life or death, but in a spiritual sense, it, it felt that way. Yeah. And it felt like, okay, am I really going to just go all in with this, or am I just going to remain... Honestly, like dead in my complacency mm-hmm. and you know my nominalism and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of like taking that step. And I can only imagine these. I know how it felt for me, but can you imagine like the priests taking that step and before their foot's about to hit the water, what's about to happen? Mm-hmm. Right? You have the Ark of the Covenant, literally God's <laughs> spirit, yeah. and you're about to perhaps lose it, you're about to lose your life. And you know, God, like you said, has a unique way of. I mean, he already knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just it's it's a testing of trust and faith. So we're not. I don't. I don't want to flesh this out to say everyone <laughs> has to take this crazy leap of faith in their lives. Right. But I, you know, I'm not ignorant enough to say that no one's not facing that right now. Right. So you know, you know, just just know God's faithful in those times. You have two examples yeah. right here. You know, sometimes it will work out really well. Sometimes it won't work out as well, but there's still things to be gleaned from that. Um, so anyway, I'm pushing forward because we have a lot to talk about. Um, the other kind of question is just, you know, what made you want to pursue ministry itself? Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, well, from – well, I'll, I'll just go a bit from my background. My background is that I didn't always used to attend church. I didn't start attending church until I was a middle schooler, I think about seventh or eighth grade. Yeah. And um, once I hit, like, started going to church, I love the environment. I love the people. And so uh, it, it took me a while to differentiate the environment of church mm-hmm. and, like, what it means to be a follower, a consistent yeah. follower of Christ. <laughs> and I actually learned that in college, but um, which is why I'm so glad I came here. But <laughs> shameless plug. <laughs> but... Um, Really, I wanted to. The more I started to work and volunteer and serve with my church, although I may not have been that consistent follower figure yet, I still knew within my heart and my mind that I was called to serve. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what that was going to look like yet, but I always was there. I was always one of the first people to get to the church to help set up things. I was always one of the last people to leave, especially when I was able to start driving. I was always there. Um, And then eventually that led me to be able to intern at my home church and work with my. Youth Minister Seth, who's actually also an alumni from here, um, but he really taught me a lot of the a lot of the means, a lot of the ways to go about with ministry, a lot of different skills that I'm applying now today to my current ministry. Um, even when I didn't realize it back then, he was already like providing me resources to use. Yeah. But um, I mean, it was, I knew probably from about my junior year, senior year. 
uh, that I wanted to become a minister. I was at actually at the CLI move, and they always give this opportunity to be like, if you feel like God has called you to ministry, then like we want you to say that. We want to get you plugged in, like yeah. all stuff. Well, this is why I like CLI because they don't just want you to walk the walk, or they don't want you to talk the talk. They want you to walk the walk and yeah. really put your feet on the pavement and be like, okay, jump in, be a kingdom worker because we need you. And so, in that moment, I was able to do that, and then, you know, everything happened yeah. then on out with college and everything. So, yep, yeah. that's, that's how that's awesome. how my walk ministry started. Awesome. Well, then, you know, it's a good segue to talk about some of your ministry experiences because, you know, some might think, because you're my TA last year and things like that, that we met once, you know, I got here. But actually, we had the opportunity to meet when you were one on camp teams um, for KCU at Hallsmo Christian Assembly, our mission for this year. And, you know, then it gets to know you a little bit better when you worked there for an entire summer. Mm -hmm. So there was that kind of relationship before then. So, you know, I know you have a heart for camp. You just came back from middle school retreat this past weekend yeah. at Hell's Mill. Um, so I just want to ask you, you know, for those that are interested in camp ministry or have a heart for it as well, what makes camp ministry so unique for you? Mm -hmm. What makes it different than everything else? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, let me just shout out my old school camp team. Amen. <laughs> Mandy, Emily, and Nate. Miss you guys. Love you guys. But, um, uh, for camp ministry with me, it, it, again, this just goes back to kind of my roots, is that being able to take a, a step back from seemingly the world, yeah. especially at Howl's Mill, I got another shameless plug, especially <laughs> at Howl's Mill where you're just on this property and you're surrounded by the river and there's only one way, it's not like, sure there are many ways out, but like for vehicles, <laughs> there's one way and one way out with the gate. And like you just feel safe and you yeah. feel isolated there and I think once you're in that environment you really just hardened hearts are softened and broken and re repaired by God um, people who don't believe in God actually discover him or witness him in that moment like camp ministry to me was important because I mean it's where I had one of my first moments of being like holy cow holy crap like this is real everything I've learned Everything about this guy, Jesus, about God, about, you know, Holy Spirit, all these things are real. And it hit me in a moment. And, our, you know, I was a middle schooler at the time, but I was, I remember just weeping and being like, man, this is crazy because I've never felt this way before. Yeah. But it just, like, washed over me. I was like, whoa. But, again, I'm not an emotional person. Yeah, yeah. And so that, in that moment, again, it's crazy how my emotions played into the fact that I was like, this is different. This is something that's crazy. But, um, no, camp ministry is important to me because... I remember being able to travel uh, my freshman year on sophomore year that summer and being able to just not only connect with students, but connect with other, you know, ministers, yeah. some of which I still keep in contact today, a.k.a. you and, like, you know, a <laughs> yeah. bunch of other people. And that that range, it, when you become, when you devote yourself to ministry, you find your niche in that place because they're, once you, I mean, once you become a church leader, like you are connected with more people than you know. Oh, yeah. And, like, I mean... It's crazy. I mean, I, I would have never thought that, like, you know, four years down the road, or, like, three years down the road, since I went to uh, camp teams, like, meeting you for the first time, talking with you, like, all the stuff, our paths continue to cross as right. we continue to, like, you know, no matter what, I think that God... I don't know, it's crazy to see how God both works through ministry and for ministers in those moments to yeah. connect them. But, I don't know, camp ministry to me just allows people not only to connect God in an environment where they can feel safe and united, but it can also just allow people to connect with each other. Yeah. And that's the, that's what I think is different is because we are so fearful in secular, meaning like yeah, yeah, yeah. typical everyday life, and we feel a little intimidated to talk to people about Jesus. Yeah. But... When you're isolated like that, you're just like, I, I know I can walk up to anyone in this place and be like, I know you believe in Jesus. Like, yeah. let's have this, I don't know, let's ask you these deep questions. Yeah, or let's, next let's, steps kind of deal. Yes, next steps kind of deal. So, I mean, that's for, for me, that's like the biggest key points of camp ministry that have really changed my life and perspective going forward. Yeah, I know, like, so working at, having worked as a student minister, now a college minister, there's always this desire to replicate that feeling of camp because it is it's such a unique place and I don't think it's impossible um, 
there's a very um, good possibility that we can replicate that intimate emotional relationship with God and others in our everyday lives, but it takes some intentionality, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I think that's one of the interesting things about candy is everything's intentionally driven to get you to a place where you can intimately meet God mm-hmm. you, in a way you perhaps you never had before. And, you know, I think it's just an example or something that can push us to live more intentionally in our lives every day. Mm-hmm. Um, do I believe camp, you know, is unique? Of course. You know, there's something about camp that makes me cry every time I'm there. Yeah. Right? Since yeah. I've been the age of 12 to the age of, what, 25 now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not an emotional person. But, <laughs> yeah, sure. Keep telling yourself that. There's only a couple times Drew found me crying in my office last year. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just, it, when I talk about camp ministry, there's always that desire in the back of my heart or the back of my head. It's like, why can't I foster that here I think we can, but it takes a collective of people understanding that you can foster that in the midst of a broken world, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I kind of, like, camp's like a glimpse of the kingdom, Mm -hmm. often for me. Yeah. And that's what we're supposed to do Mm -hmm. outside of those times. So maybe it's more intentionality with spiritual disciplines for us. Right. So we're in a good place to go out. Um, I don't know. It's it's a unique balance because whenever you go to a camp, we refer to the world outside of those walls or the, that area as the real world. Yeah. And what we mean by that is that, you know, it's just, things just seem so easy. Yeah. But that's because we get comfortable. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, being a Christian, being a believer, isn't about being comfortable. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's I think that's where people tend to get confused. It's easy to be surrounded by people who believe the same thing as you and to talk about it, but, like, you are meant, you are called, and you are commanded by Jesus to step out in your faith and to baptize and make disciples of all nations. And that, to me, is something that I've been wrestling with. I'm like, wow, like, God, you're really kind of showing me how much more I, I need to do or how I need to step my game up and basically be like, you know, what what can I do to connect people? And obviously there are, like, many different avenues in that topic, but it's just, you know, People just get Christianity confused with being comfortable. That's, oh, yeah. that's not what it is. I mean, think about all the apostles, most of which were martyred. Yeah. <laughs> you know, majority of them beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Yeah. Uh, you know, John, what? He got, like, boiled alive, poisoned, <laughs> like, three or five times. He couldn't kill him. Though finally, they're like, okay, we're just going to, like, ship you off to an island, yeah. and you can just live in exile. I mean, it's not supposed to be comfortable, but that's what the point is, like, the Christianity is such a radical thing that it should reflect into your life every single day. And it's yeah. just... The issue is, I think, and, you know, I I always hesitate, but I never end up talking myself in the podcast from <laughs> saying these kind of things. But I don't want people to think I <laughs> dislike the local church. I love the local church. You need to be plugged into a local church. Yes, please. You need to, you know, be involved with your ministers, pray for your ministers, mm-hmm. volunteer, all those things. But there is an issue in the Western church, specifically an American church, where we've almost flipped that and we've made local church a place where we can surround ourselves with everyone that's, you know, like us and comfortable. Mm -hmm. And we just stay there and we don't interact with other perspectives. It's, you know, in a way it mimics camp. Yep. Okay, it's easy to go to church on Sunday or Wednesday with people that think like you, live in the same neighborhoods as you that, you know, grew up in the same traditions. Mm-hmm. But the point isn't the point of local church. Yes, glorify God on Sunday, but take him out to people so they can be edified, me, yeah. you know, Monday through Saturday. Mm-hmm. But we've lost a sense of that because it's either all in the minister or, you know, it's, I mean, I've been guilty of this. Even ministers at times, mm-hmm. we we we, uh, we get comfortable with saying, okay, I know my congregation. I know yep. they all believe this way or they're going to believe it because I've said it. Yep. So let's just stay in this little realm instead of engaging with different perspectives. Um, I'm not going to say these platforms by name just because it could get controversial, but you see that right now in the results of an election season when everyone's leaving one social media platform for this new one. 
and I've seen people just say it's because I don't want to be challenged and I don't want to have any mm-hmm. and again I'm not all for it I hate Facebook debates I, hate <laughs> I do them. too <laughs> hate them with a passion yeah. so I get that sentiment to a degree but if your main reason is because you don't want to be challenged in your faith or mm-hmm. challenged in your opinions you've kind of lived a closed minded faith or yeah. an ideology and that's never I mean you see Paul become all things to all people so he might save some yep. he engaged with Jewish people he engaged with, engaged with Gentile people so, I didn't mean to get down this rabbit hole, but there's this sense that as Christians, complacency is our biggest enemy, mm-hmm. and we have to push ourselves out of our comfort zones to know you can't be afraid to engage the world. It doesn't mean you're of mm-hmm. it, but you engage it, and you cultivate that same feeling you get when you're with people that are like-minded. Yeah. You need to cultivate that with others, not for assimilation's sake, mm-hmm. but for the sake of of love and grace and mercy and faith and yep. all the things that we need, people around us need it too. Mm-hmm. The same thing we disagree with politically. Yep. They need Jesus. Yep. Right? So, I mean... I mean, the not to, again, not to... I don't want to throw politics around, but whether you agree with Donald Trump or Joe Biden, still be praying for them. Mm-hmm. I think, in my mind, I would still be willing to sit down with either one of them and, like, have dinner or lunch just to... Yeah. I mean, get to know them. And no matter how much I may disagree with one or the other, they're still children of God formed in their mother's wombs yeah. by God. And that's just something for us to remember. And this is probably going to be an hour-long podcast. I don't <laughs> think about it because we haven't even gotten to what I've talked about today. But I'll, I'll, I'll end off saying this. Like, we, like, the fact of the matter is, is that Americans, people in America, we are not the Jews. We are the Gentiles. Yeah. We are not... I'm, I'm sorry to break this news. We are not God's chosen country, okay? Right. <laughs> and, and God did not anoint us. God did not, and I'm, I'm saying this, God did not anoint us. God did not anoint our country for anything. If anything, God's people is Israel, the people of Israel. Yeah. And from the, trans, from the transformative power of Jesus, then are we allowed to be within that family. But we're not the main focus of the story. We're not the stakeholders in the. We are not, no, we're not, and that's and that from again, that's another conviction on my part. So I'm like realizing this all at the same time. I'm like, holy crap! Like we yeah. we are the outsiders. We are the outliers, and that's important. When we talk about Paul and the Gentiles, like going out to being all these people, where are the Gentiles yeah. that Paul is seeking? And so it's just so important that we understand that because that is so crucial to how. We need to humble ourselves when yeah. it comes to having conversations with other people and having uh, debates. You know, it's okay to debate; it's okay to talk. But when the debate or the argument becomes fruitless, yeah. that is when it just loses all worth. It loses yeah. all worth, and it's crazy because all of the apostles, especially Paul, found their lives worth nothing compared to what Christ gave them. Yeah, and that's how we need to live our lives as well. I like I I'm a student minister. Okay, I don't make a large sum of money. I don't make all that stuff. But even then, even with the life I live now, I am wealthier than a vast majority of people in the world. Yeah. And I am so blessed to be able to do that. Yeah. One of my amazing friends who decided to take a leap of faith in her ministry walk and be a missionary lives in Uganda right now. Works with orphans there. She's doing something so amazing with her faith because she did that. And not only is she working with orphans, she's also in the process of adopting one of them. Yeah. And she's 21 years old. <laughs> she's 21 years old. She's asking, she's, I'm, you know, like she, in the, the, her child, whose name is ironically Israel, <laughs> is four. And that's yeah. just something to me. Why don't we have that faith? Yeah. Why don't we have, I don't know. It's just something that, it's just something I want people to realize this because it's so important that we differentiate. I'm, I'm clapping. Jeez, I'm getting cool. It's so important that we differentiate our prideful arrogance yeah. with our humble stewardness that we should have in Christ. Yeah. When you come to the feet of Jesus, you need to realize you, you do not have as much stake as you think you do. Yeah. Jesus has, has played all the cards. Yeah. He has bought your life. You were bought. Yeah. That means you're worth something. And that means you're going to be used for yeah. something. No, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this, uh, I mean, we're from camp ministry to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, 
for those of you that listened to the chapel sermon for Thursday, you know, I'm going to hit on some of these things because, you know, as Christ followers, you have value, you have worth because of Jesus, like you just said. And because of that, you know, you are to cultivate on earth as it is in heaven, um, which means, hey, there's some distinctiveness in heaven. Mm-hmm. If you look at Revelation, you'll see in the imagery of the kingdom or the heavenly realm is people of all different nations, tribes, and tongues. We inherit or we retain some kind of differences um, in that. So if there's differences there, we have to be comfortable with differences here. Yes. And we have to be able to reach across the aisle and understand you know, we have to trade in our idols of political affiliation and Americanisms and all this kind of stuff for the gospel of Christ again. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'll go ahead and say it. You know, when it comes to the political idolatry that we have, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sick and tired on both aisles of pe- seeing people use scripture. Yep. To say, well, this is why this side is good. No, this is what Jesus just says, right? So you, or the apostles. So, like I, I talked earlier before this podcast with you, you can't have Romans thirteen, right? When we're you know subject to all governing authorities and pay your taxes and all that stuff. You can't have Romans thirteen and use it as a rebuttal against groups like Black Lives Matter and systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Um, those are fighting for system, you know, against systemic racism rather. You can't use it there. And then forget about it when perhaps a political party is voted in office that you think is going to raise your taxes. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're supposed to just do it, right? Control what is wrong. Yeah, you know, if you're going to talk about giving to the least of me and taking care of the least of these, you can't use that to justify why abortion is wrong. But forget it when we're in favor of policies that, you know, degrade the refugee, the immigrant, the widows, the orphans. Mm-hmm. You can't have it because then that's when you do play this political idolatry game. Mm-hmm. Where, okay, I'm going to go with this or this. What does Jesus say? Well, Jesus says, basically, I want to take care of the unborn and the children. Yeah. Of course he says that. Oh, yes. But also, I want you to welcome in the refugee, the widow, and the orphan. Mm-hmm. Even the God of the Old Testament that people have some issues with. Even this harsh God that we see there, or we think is harsh. Mm-hmm. Even he had laws that said, take care of these people, yes. the outsiders, even before they had a way in. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Romans 13. So it's... And it's interesting, sorry, but you, you mentioned that, you know, give to Rome or give to Caesar, what Caesar's. You know, when you read that in context, it's almost as if Jesus is kind of like making fun of them. Like, mm-hmm. okay, whose face is on this coin? Okay. It's almost irony. Like, what does Caesar really own? Mm-hmm. Nothing outside mm-hmm. of God's sovereign. Well, like, you read that in context. Nothing. Yep. Give to God what is God's. That's everything. So it's a play on words of yep. sorts. So. I'm just sick and tired of seeing it. And yes, I get heated about certain things, and I have my political opinions, but, and I'm not better than anyone, but I'm trying to make sure that when I stand for something, it's the, what the holistic nature of the gospel says, mm-hmm. and not just my personal preference. Yep. So, you know, and that's infiltrated the church, is basically yep. what I'm getting at. Yep. And it's reduced our ability to replicate those intimate personal relationships with others and with God mm-hmm. that we see in things like camp ministry. Yeah. I'll, I'll say two more things and then I'll kind of, uh, we'll, we'll jump to we'll probably most you know yeah. to, uh, but two things, one, number one in James, I do believe it's chapter two, um, towards the end, James is saying that any religion that does not care or comfort the orphan or the widows is worthless in yeah. the eyes of God. But the religion that is perfect is the one that takes care of the orphans and widows. Basically, the least of these in the world. Yeah. People that we need to check up on, people that we need to take care of, people that we need to reach out to and love because that's what Christ did. Yeah. Second thing, and I'll leave this off because it's I think it's a good mic drop. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, and I've, I've been convicted of this myself, that's why I'm saying this. The fact of the matter is the face of Jesus, if he were to come back today, would scare people. Would yeah. scare some people. Because he, his face would be compared to someone we see as dangerous. Mm-hmm. Because they are from the Middle East. Someone we can, someone we uh, kind of identify with as Muslim or Arab man. People we see as dangerous. And I think that is so ironic. Because <laughs> the face of our Savior is someone we could see as dangerous when he returns. 
Isn't that crazy? No, it is. And uh, we can keep going down and down and down. Yeah. Down. Well, for the sake of time, for who's listening, we'll move on. like 40 minutes already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got this um, you know, because of that, I didn't mean to get on that, but we'll kind of, if you're fine with it, we'll jump yep. that second section. We'll go straight to your sermon. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't got a chance to listen to Drew's sermon yet, um, well, no one has at this point because we're still uploading it. But, right. um, you know, if you're listening to this at a later date and you haven't got a chance to listen to it, go to the KCU's live stream and check it out. Um, we had to go virtual today because of COVID. But, That's um, COVID. That's COVID. We, <laughs> we, uh, we're finishing up our uh, dinner party series here at our At the Table theme, uh, talking about different kinds of peoples and circumstances that are at the table. Today we're going to talk about suffering. And Drew did a great job, you know, expositing um, Psalms 42 and 43, um, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But the nature of the question is suffering at the table. Um, and I think it's suffering is a common denominator that we all go through, mm-hmm. whether or not we want to acknowledge it. So, um, you know, my first question is kind of, you know, from your personal opinion, and then we'll talk about this, but what do you perceive to be the root or the cause of suffering? I mean, there's a... There's a fascination within the church, within people in general. We want to know why we're hurting, right? Mm-hmm. We want to know why we're facing this kind of trouble. Um, so, you know, not that we're going to flesh out an entire theology of theodicy in this moment, right. but, um, you know, from your experience, uh, from what you've, you know, studied in Scripture, what do you think is a simple way of kind of explaining the root or the cause of suffering? Uh, let me start off and say that I don't believe that God is like the author of evil or bad things. <laughs> like he does not write in to yeah, your yeah. life, well, so-and-so is going to die, so-and-so is going to get like so, such and such yeah. disease for character development. There's like a meme going around yeah. where it's like, when God watches you suffer to, for character development. That's not what God does. God makes beautiful things out of the hardships we face in the world. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, is that life is hard. Yeah. And the world is ugly and it's imperfect. And it's because it's it's that way because of the decisions that our ancestors have made for thousands of years. It's not a common thing. Suffering isn't a common thing. The root comes from decision-making that has long stemmed well beyond our recorded history. Yeah. And I just think it's important to understand that, like, there's nothing, like, there's no certain kind of easy explanation for it except that, you know, sin. Sin is the author of suffering. And um, the enemy, he uses sin and temptations and all these other different key aspects to cause suffering in people's lives. Because if we suffer, then God suffers. Because God cares about us so much. And that's the only way he can, the enemy can even get to God is by causing us to have pain or suffer. So much so that maybe sometimes we turn away yeah. from God. And that's something that is important to understand. Because like I said before, God doesn't cause these things to happen. Can God work through them? Yes, of course. But sometimes bad things happen because bad things happen. Yeah. And that's such a hard pill to swallow. And again, it goes back to like, I, I mentioned this in my sermon, like being a Christian doesn't provide you with happiness. You know, it didn't provide with the positive happiness when it got, excuse me, executed, you know. And it certainly didn't provide Jesus with happiness when he died on the cross. Yeah. But it produces the hope of his resurrection. It's a redemption for us. Yeah. That's the point about Jesus. But suffering is just going to happen because it's a root. Or it's, it's just a, norma- a normality of the world today that we live in up until Christ returns. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at the end all be all. Like when Christ returns, that's it. Just like slate's wiped clean, no more suffering, no more dying, no more death, no more nothing. And that's the cool part about it. It's because, and that that's kind of helps get, get you through those aspects, you know. Suffering is just a part of life, but you can still have that hope in that someday Christ will return and all suffering will cease yeah. forever. And that's not even something we can comprehend with our little bitty human minds, <laughs> but it's just like, that's how that's how crucial it is. So yeah. I hope that answers the question. No, it does. Okay. It does. I, I think it does. And, you know, the only caveat I'll give are two little things, you know, a phrase I like to use a lot. And, some people might disagree, um, some might agree. It's that not every, I hate the phrase everything happens for a reason. Um, I think that's at times very detrimental mm-hmm. to someone's faith or someone's you know belief in the character of God. But rather, 
God can make reason out of everything, yep. right? He can make goodness out of every trial yep. or struggle or even death. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that just kind of flips the narrative on the redemptive, restorative nature of God mm-hmm. rather than kind of like he's, again, he's this hawker of, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to test you right now to build your character up. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's, it, it doesn't look good yeah. at that point. And I hope I'm not speaking my preference into that, but I think the witness of God in Scripture is, hey, you know, I never intended for this. I knew it was going to happen. Um, I didn't intend it, though. But I can make something out of this if you mm-hmm. have faith. So it's that balance of sovereignty without determinism. And again, that's a personal opinion. I don't believe God's deterministic of us. I believe he's sovereign. He knows what's going to happen, but yep. he doesn't determine that for us. Nope. We have the free will to choose a certain path yep. um, that he knows that we'll pick. So, and some people want to think that's something I take some paradoxical, but we're not going to get into that today. Um, but one thing I would point out, when we're talking about the causation of suffering, um, don't look to the book of Job. Um, Please don't. <laughs> and I, and I might sound like it's coming out of nowhere um, for those of you listening, but you know, reflect for a moment, if you will. If you grew up in the church or you've grown up, you know, listening to sermons and things like that, I'm sure you've heard several conversations or references to, you know, have the faith of Job. You know, persevere through your suffering like Job. Well, I don't think that was the point of the book. Um, it's a piece of wisdom literature that's supposed to enlighten us to who God is. Um, we don't get a nice little answer of Job's suffering by the end of it. Job doesn't figure out why he suffered. Mm-hmm. God never comes in and says, hey, I had this deal with the adversary, and he said that you were, you know, being apostate, but ha you weren't. Like, we don't see that. Siri? Sorry, everyone. Siri wanted to join it. But, um, you know, so we don't see that from God. We see, hey, Job, who are you to question me? Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did this, 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 this? Like, two chapters where then Job's like, Job's like, I repent the dust and ashes, man. Like, I'm sorry mm-hmm. I did that, and I kind of hate myself right now. Yeah. Um, which I think any of us would be like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're there. My bad. <laughs> but, um, but no, I think the point of the book of Job um, is to bring us into awareness of the transcendence of God, that he is at the center of the cosmos. He is way more vast than we could ever understand. <laughs> and the unique thing we're going to do today, though, is we're going <laughs> to... We're talking about how vast and transcendent he is, but at second, we're talking about lamenting mm-hmm. how a God so transcendent, so vast, so large, is also a God that is a friend, that's in an intimate relationship yep. with us, and that's what makes the God of Christianity so unique, mm-hmm. is he's not so far off that he can't be in a relationship with us, but at the same time, he is far off, mm-hmm. and he's bigger than we can understand. So, and before we look into that personal relationship... Um, just one question before that. Yep. Um, what? Why do you think it's so difficult for us to talk about suffering in the church, or just as people? And what do you believe Scripture informs us of when it comes to suffering? Um, well, with the church, we don't want to talk about suffering because we think that's the means as to bring people in. Yeah, get people in. Um, there is something. There are many different forms of the gospel. That people view. Yeah. However, there's a singular gospel mm-hmm. and the story of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's the only gospel there should be. However, there are many different gospels that people found, found their churches on, whether it be prosperity, uh, uh, having a better, have, having, you know, an easier life to live, like all this stuff. Like, yeah. But we shy away from it because we think it's going to push people out or make people fearful. But the reality is that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to express your suffering or your hardships is what makes you human. Yeah. And more importantly is what make it's what makes you Christian. Yeah. I don't know why we have deceived, we have let ourselves be deceived for so long saying if I confide in my church, or if I confide, confide with these individuals, then they'll think I'm not a good Christian. And so we put on a pretty face, you know, maybe there's a lot of issues going on at home, maybe there's a lot of rough patches with mom or dad, maybe uh, there's some drug uh, use or anything like that, like with my life, and, you know, maybe we'll just cover it up, make sure people know that 
we're all good, easy going, have that representation. When in actuality, it's not how it should be at all. Yeah. We should be able to confide in each other with confidence. Just as, you know, we, just as Jesus shows us. He, he confides with his, uh, his disciples. And he confides with so many people. I mean, there's a very, the shortest verse in the Bible, mm-hmm. Jesus wept. Yeah. Like, why, why would we ever want to take that away from the, how the church should be? And yeah. so... It's interesting, too, because Jesus already knew Lazarus was dead. Yes! Right? <laughs> and that's the thing. It's not like he was surprised. Like, he knew, hey, I'm going to wait a few days. He's going to die, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to resurrect him. Mm-hmm. And he knew he was going to resurrect him. Like, he knew I'm going to go for him, but he still wept for him. Yeah. Jesus leaves, leaves so many different examples of humanity. Yeah. As much as he was God, and, he, and as much as he was God, as much as he was divine, he was also human. Yeah. And to leave those little pieces here and there of his humanity in the Bible, which if you fully read your Bible, you will clearly see Jesus is clearly human because of his emotions and because how he spoke and because of how he acted. And it's just, I mean, my man was a carpenter. He Mm -hmm. worked for a living. He didn't start his ministry until he was in his 30s. (laughs) Like, and he did for three years and was killed and resurrected. Like, all this stuff. It's like, people don't realize those things. And it's because God was preparing him in ways that we can't even imagine. Yeah. And, but with yeah, with I feel like we shy away from suffering because we think it's going to push people away. When we're in the when in reality, it only grows the church. Yeah. And what I mean by grows, not by number. I mean spiritually, yeah. and inwardly, grows the church. Yeah, it helps us process. And that, I mean, that's one of the biggest problems I've seen is we internalize. It's not just this is everybody. It's not just yes, yes. We internalize our problems and our issues, which leads to some deep-rooted issues that mm-hmm. can just snowball effect. Um, but something, you know, what you said was really good, so I'm not going to, you know, try and explicate it any different way. But something I would add, where those are specifically in ministry, and I know me and you talked a lot about this before um, you graduated last year, is vulnerability as a minister yes. is crucial. Mm-hmm. I think part of the reason we do see people shy away from talking about suffering is because they don't hear it from their ministers. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not just on ministers. I think we've had this elevation by congregations to put their ministers in the spotlight and say, you have to be the perfect person, please which isn't fair. Yeah, please don't do that. It's not fair to that <laughs> person just like you, yeah. So it's this balance of, I'm going to be honest about my suffering from the pulpit, yep. and I'm going to admit you know, I'm just like you. I'm broken. I have issues. My family have issues. You know, I, I still remember the best, I don't want to say the best, but... Significant? Significant, okay. spirit-filled sermon I ever gave during my time at GCC was a time that I can just remember I was in a very deep depression. Mm. I was still going on my kidney issues. Mm-hmm. I hadn't had my surgery yet. There was issues in the office all that week that often people don't get to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to preach. I had no hope at that time. I had to preach on our hope is in heaven. Oh, so yeah. it was one of those times, like, I don't feel qualified to talk about this. Yeah. So I was just, you know, I had a whole manuscript written up, and I was ready. And when I went up there, I just, you know, I stuck with my main points, but I kind of deviated from my talking points, I should say, or my, my uh, filler, because I just knew in that moment Somebody here, or even myself, I need to speak to myself, that it's okay to talk about this openly. Yes, it's okay yes. to process this. You know, it's like the one time I ever like really teared up on stage, mm-hmm. you know, was talking about that. And, you know, it was the only time I could remember yep. here or at GCC or anywhere I've worked that people didn't come up and just tell me, hey, you know, great message, you did, you did good kind of stuff. You know, that's fine. I, you know, it helps. But... Um, it was the first time people really came up and said, you know, you really challenged me today. Like, I, I needed that. Yes. Like, I needed to process that, too. I felt that way. And I can't tell you any you know, messages I got. And it's not to edify me or lift me up, but it was to, you know, it did, that was a pivotal point in my philosophy of industry. I understand even if I have issues, even if I have anxiety like I do, even if I have medical issues like I do, even mm-hmm. if I have, you know, a stubbornness at times, um, it does not disqualify me for ministry. And I remember distinctly last year sitting in my old office with four or five of you guys, and we were talking about, sadly, another minister that had taken his own life. And um, 
I just remember getting super serious with you guys out there. I'm like, guys, just listen to me for a second. Perhaps use some words I shouldn't have. But, you know, just kind of said, like, if anyone ever tries to disqualify you from ministry um, because you struggle mentally, mm-hmm. because you struggle with anything um, that isn't going to be detrimental to the church, then they're liars, mm-hmm. right? They're, they, are, they have the issue. Yep. It's not realistic to tell young people that want to go to ministry, hey, if you have anxiety, you can't, you can't preach. If you have depression, you can't preach. You have this, you have that. No, that's not what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Jesus took a murderer and made him an apostle. Mm-hmm. Right? So he took... Borderline, like, genocidal man. Yeah, <laughs> like, so... Leading a, par- a parade of people to kill. Exactly. So that's just a caveat. When it comes to suffering, if you're going into ministry, for those of you who are listening, it starts with you a lot of times in the church. And sometimes you're going to get some pushback. I remember distinctly as well, when I first started my ministry... Um, at a previous job, you know, one of the leaders, you know, I was telling him, I said, you know, I'm gonna be honest with the students. I want to, I want to flesh out my past, and they told me not to. They told me not to talk about my suffering, and I just remember saying, you know, that's not the way I want to do it. Mm-hmm. If that's, you know, if you're looking for something different, then I guess find somebody else because these students, especially students in middle school and high school, need to know I'm not alone in yep. trying to find myself and trying to deal with this suffering, you know, yep. and. I don't know. So I just think we have to talk about suffering more, but we have to look at it realistically, and we can't shy away from it, and we yep. have to look to the right places to process it. Yep. Which, that's a caveat to the last caveat that we'll have today, that kind of just talk about a way that you can process it, which is through the art form of lament, or the spiritual art form of lament. So before, you know... I, I go to you with your perspectives on it. Yeah. For those of you that don't know what lament is, I just have a definition here for you that I think is really good. Um, so typically what a lament is, it's a prayerful response to the full range of problems in the human condition. The Psalms, which we'll talk about here in a second, specifically name isolation, shame, despair, danger, physical impairment, and death as cause for lament. Mm-hmm. Laments are one of the ways that we intentionally bring into God's presence parts of our lives that are traumatic or disturbing. So hopefully with that definition you can see where we're going. But you know, for a second there, explain to me um, your perspective on why is lament important? You know, What does it mean to lament? You know, you just flesh that out some. Yeah, so basically lamenting is another way that we can communicate our emotions to God. Um, the reason that we talk, we reference Psalms, and this is because Psalms is written by um, David, and literally two thirds of the Psalms are made of laments. Mm-hmm. Basically, him bringing his sorrow, his suffering, his grief to the feet of God. And in the passages I talk about, Psalms forty-two and forty-three, uh, we can really see, and I mean throughout the entire book of Psalms, we really do see David wrestling with this aspect that. Man, I know I need to put my hope in God, but I am struggling so inwardly to do that consistently. Mm-hmm. And he keeps referencing, referencing his soul over and over again. He's like, why are you so downcast, my soul? You know that you can put your hope in God. You know that you can trust in him. Yet, why are you so downcast? And it's just this wrestle back and forth, back and forth. And honestly, it's, it's such a beautiful imagery he gives us. And I think that's why... Honestly, the Psalms exist, you know, it's, it's, yeah. to, it's to basically depict this man, David, King David, described as a man who's after God's own heart, yeah. meaning he was obedient to God's will in his life, just absolutely wrestle with himself and wrestle with his emotions, um, and especially when it comes to grief and sorrow. And so when he laments, he is just bringing every emotion he has in his head to the footstool of God, and he's like, why? <laughs> why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? And with that aspect, it's important to understand that lamenting it is so crucial yes. to being a Christian. Because if you don't lament to God, you can build no trust with God. <laughs> you have to you have to understand your trust. Your faith in God is not on the hope for a happy life. God yeah. doesn't want you to be happy. I mentioned this in my sermon. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy, and there's a difference. Go to God and lament. 
speak your mind. Grief, weep, scream, cry, yell. Maybe cuss sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. You're not going to hurt God's feelings. I promise you. <laughs> he can you. take it. He can take it. He created everything. Think about it. God getting offended by a little word or whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just so important for us to understand the, 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 the reality of lamenting. And the reality of the world today is that everyone, <laughs> mm-hmm. every single person on this earth is going through an incredibly traumatic experience with yes. this pandemic. This is not something that's just isolated to America. I don't know why we decided to, I don't want to get up on a you know, soapbox, <laughs> but I, I don't know why we try to, we always have to be first in everything. And so right. we're always like, well, the pandemic's always about us. Europe's flaming up right now with outbreaks. People are protesting and rioting in Italy because they had to go back into lockdown because they, you know, because of this virus, people are being traumatized by this. Yeah. And we're separating from each other more, and we're we're worried, and we're scared, and we're fearful, and we don't know, we don't know what's going to happen next. And honestly, all those emo- emotions have begun to boil over because people don't know how to express them. Oh, yeah. And the fact of the matter is, don't boil those up. Don't keep them in to boil over and let a, let your words words <laughs> run wild on Facebook. Please, please don't do that. Take those words to God, yeah. at His throne, at His feet. Don't take it to Facebook. You're just going to get judgment and denial and people just arguing with you. But if you take it to God in humbleness, in humbleness, he will accept you no matter where you are in your life. No matter what mindset you have, God will accept you. And guys, listen, I, again, I, I, I don't need to piece apart my, you know, spoil my sermon, I guess, or something. But being able to lament and just absolutely vent to God is so freeing and so peace-giving. There was a moment in my life, uh, I mentioned it in my sermon, where I just, for an hour and a half, I just like said whatever came to my mind to God. I was mad, I was sad, I was angry, I was lonely, I was all these things. Hour and a half, just constantly. And then, after I did all that, a sudden, just such immense rush of peace. Mm comfort and love came over me and I was like I get it <laughs> why don't I do this more why don't people why don't people know that this is such an important thing to do yeah it's because that people don't want to talk about suffering when it's such a reality mm-hmm. look at Jesus on the cross he went to the garden before mm-hmm. pray to God if you can take this cup away from me do it but if not I'm gonna let your will play out and do it anyways yeah if, if the aspect of suffering is so written and wrought throughout the Bible. Yeah. And and with King David, he really makes that point clear. I'm suffering, but I'm not going to let it be bottled up. I'm going to give it to God. Yeah. And that is something I think, that's one of the biggest reasons I think we have the book of Psalms in our, in our Bible, in our text. And that's why it's so massive. Yeah. It's just God trying to get his point across to us. Bring it on. Yeah. You're not going to offend me. You're not going to hurt me. I am cosmic, divine being. You are but dust in my hand. You know, yeah. you're not gonna, you're not gonna hurt him. And that, but again, it's cool to see that the God who created everything. It, it, my term of dust in that isn't to demean us with the importance of God. It's just that I, I believe He describes our life as like vapor compared to Him, like in His eyes. But even within that vapor, you know, those little droplets of water. He still sees and feels the hurt and yeah. the pain and the suffering. And he looks intentionally at you and he says, my child, I love you. Turn to me. Yeah. And again, it goes back to the, the we, we preach this gospel of like a better or easier life. When in reality, it's not. It's a hard life. It's a hard life being a believer. It's a hard life being a Christian. And it always has been. There's not, there's not some sort of uprising currently against the church. Yeah. It always has been. You know, at least we can go to church every Sunday without the exactly. worry about being beheaded. Yeah. You know, there are horrible stories of ministers and believers being beheaded or tracked down. I mean, look at Paul. He fed people to lions, people. He fed people to lions if they believe in Christ. But it's just people have suffered. Christians have suffered, but they found their value in Christ and not in the life they live. Yeah. And that's the difference. And that's what I think God is trying to get across to us. You're going to suffer. Yeah. Jesus says the Jesus says Paul is going to suffer for his name. Yeah. And Paul did. But 
Paul found his life worth nothing when compared to what Christ had given him, yeah. which is hope and renewal and resurrection. And so, in, 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 in that perspective, lament to God. Turn to God if you do struggle, if you do hurt. Yeah. You know, And in any situation, whatever difficult situation you're in, just cry out to him because yeah. he's there. I mean, it's, it, it may, it, and that's the thing, it's the faith we are supposed to have is so radical, yeah. and yet we have conformed to make it comfortable, and it is so crucial for us to be able to turn to God and be like, God, it sucks right now, <laughs> I don't know what the heck you're doing, but I'm going to trust you no matter what. Exactly. Now, I've, I've heard it said, you know, with the Psalms, that it's not so much God's word to us, but it's our word to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes sense that two-thirds of it would be <laughs> us complaining or processing, right? Yep. Um, it, it's because we have such a lack of awareness of what God's doing, and sometimes that's intentional, sometimes it's our own fault. Um, but either way, it doesn't matter to God. As mm-hmm. long as you're coming to Him, that's what He's concerned with. Yep. Um, Something I would encourage, you know, whoever's listening to this, for you to make maybe a habit of doing is write your own laments. Yes. Um, write them out mm-hmm. in the manner of the Psalms. So, you know, again, this doesn't elevate me, but I just want to read you one that I I wrote when I was in college. And this was probably one of the most formative things for me because this was in the midst of my kidney disease and we still didn't know what it was. So I was going to the ER twice a week. At this time, I was mm-hmm. thousands of dollars in medical debt, let alone student debt. And um, this class that I took on the Psalms allowed me this opportunity. So I just want to read this to you just to get, just so one, you have an idea of what it kind of could look like in a modern context. So, and this is what I wrote. I wrote, my Lord, I've tasted and seen of your unconditional love for your people. I felt your spirit and have seen you do miraculous things. You took me in your arms as a sinner even though I came from a home that did not glorify you. I've heard and believed what is written in your book. You have spent generations redeeming and saving people from themselves, and I felt as if I were a part of those whom you loved. But, oh God, where are you now? Where is that love that has once enveloped me gone? Have you taken this peace from within my soul because of something I've done? Am I still as redeemed, or am I doomed to despair? You see, I no longer feel your arms wrapped around me, and I feel as if I'm blinded from your great works. Mm-hmm. Abba, Father, if you are still there, let me feel your presence again, because it is anything but well within my soul. Mm-hmm. I have lived a healthy and youthful life thus far, but in one instant I found myself fighting for my own body. I've been pierced both literally and figuratively, as I lay here with minimal strength. Day and night I fear for what my peers may say, for my ailment is still unknown. This thorn in my flesh is damaging. It's damaging to my body, my mind, and my heart. So I struggle with the thought of a God like you allowing this form of pain to transpire. But then again, I know it must be the enemy in all of his evil ways. I know you are good and true to those who trust in you. Although at times my vision is vague, I'm trying to persevere for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. If I were to abandon you now, where else would I go? See, despite these circumstances in which I've been handed, I will not falter in my faith. For scripture says the Lord is a God merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. And for this reason I'll praise you even in the depths of this pain. Mm-hmm. So you see in that, you know, again, that was a time in my life where I was clinging to the smallest glimmer of hope. And I can tell you this is exactly what it felt like. Um, I didn't see him, I didn't feel him, but I knew he was there, and I knew I had to persevere. So you know, and to get to the semantics of everything and to the breakdown. So, I mean, within that, you have a, you know, you have a personal address to God, you have a petition to God, a complaint to Him, but yet you have a statement of confidence. You state the reasons to be heard, and you make a promise to God. Um, those are the kind of things that go into a lament. It's it's voicing your complaint, and your suffering, but at the end of the day, knowing God's will will prevail. Mm-hmm. God is good enough to be trusted mm-hmm. and you know again i can tell you the times that i've had to do this have been extremely helpful and formative for me so you know at the risk of rambling on too long i want to cut it off there um just you know there, we talked a lot about a lot of stuff today but you know all in all i hope you see you know two biggest points um one complacency can be such an enemy of the church mm-hmm. in our own faith so we have to be willing to educate ourselves and be educated by others 
learn from other people, learn to be comfortable with differences. But also the second point that on a more personal level, when we individually struggle with sin or, you know, pain and suffering, whatever it is, we have a God that wants us to bring it to him. So, um, yeah, so before we officially close out, um, I always do this with guests, but we'll end with a little speed round to liven things up a little bit. To do it. Um, so I'm just going to give you 10 random questions, and you give me your straight, immediate answer, okay? Okay, go. All right, go-to coffee order. Uh, venti white chocolate mocha with an extra shot. <laughs> Favorite band? Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Walt <laughs> Moon. Okay. Best place to eat in Ashland or Grayson? Fat Patties. Oh. Uh, favorite TV show? Bob's Burgers. Oh, you would. You're like my wife. My favorite holiday? Uh, Christmas. You have to get rid of a holiday. Which one? Halloween. <laughs> Tea or lemonade? Both. <laughs> half and half? You're a disgusting person. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, favorite professor you've ever had? Uh, I would say uh, Dr. Baldwin. All right. Favorite book of the Bible? That would be a great question to ask me. Hebrews. All right. Uh, last one. Best advice you've ever been given? Um, hmm. That's a big question. That's so a big question. Take your time. <laughs> take my time. Okay. Best advice I've ever been I would say the best advice I've ever been given um, or kind of self-developed, I think, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's good to get advice from others. Sometimes that self-development is really good, um, would be to just, like, stay hungry. Stay, mm-hmm. stay hungry and stay thirsty for what you're passionate about and what you want to do. Absolutely. And seek truth. Yeah. And speak truth, even if it costs you everything. Love it. Well, Drew, we did it. We made it to an hour. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> well, everyone, you're welcome. I'm sorry it's so not windy. Uh, yeah, thank you, Drew, for joining us. Thank you for being in chapel. Um, and I'm sure I speak for everyone when I say it's refreshing to hear these conversations and to, you know, just hear how God's working in your life and just hearing those different perspectives that we often need to be challenged with. So um, for those that are listening, make sure um, you tune into Drew's um sermon for chapel and you know just reach out to him he's a recent alumni he's a great guy he again he was my ta last year so we got really close after that um you know just pray for him and his ministry and his wife emily who is awesome and their little baby judah who is adorable and my godson so (laughs) (laughs) so um just be praying for them and um yeah drew thank you again and for those of you listening uh we'll see you on friday Thank you for tuning into the Chapel Chatter podcast. Be sure to share this with your friends as we will continue to discuss a wide variety of topics and experiences in the faith. As always, we hope that this podcast has been beneficial to you in your walk with Jesus and the way you share him with those around you. Until next time, in case no one has told you today, Jesus loves you more than you could ever know, and we do too. Grace and peace. We'll see you next time.